Hello and welcome. This time, Dave Thomas, that's me, and my co-host John Deere are baffled, slightly horrified and somewhat amused by Emilio P. Miraglia's 1971 bonkers Jallo gothic hybrid, The Night Evelyn Came Out of the Grave, aka La Notte Che Evelyn Uschi Dalla Tomba. Please join us. up front before we get into this episode's madness we are going to spoil the hell out of this movie uh, if such a thing is even possible with a film this daft so if you do want to go in unspoiled please go away and watch the movie and then come back and in the course of the episode we're going to discuss gendered violence rape sex work animal cruelty and mental illness We're talking about the night Evelyn came out of the grave, or if I've, as I've decided to call it, Rebecca with her tits out. <laughs> uh, well, you were, you know, saying, is it a Jello? Is it not a Jello? Well, this is this is kind of quintessential Jello, from my point of view. I understand. Now, I think as part of the, you know, the the uh, the raison d'être for doing for doing these podcasts is for me to appreciate and understand the wider world of Jalo as opposed to those films I've seen. And generally, when I think of Jalo, I think of lurid colour palette, stabby killers. I think of Blood and Black Lace, basically. Um, mm-hmm. Or Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Um, so basically, I, th- I yep. think of a certain period of Barva and early Argento. As sort of, mm-hmm. the, but it's you know I'm seeing it's I'm seeing it's wider. And if this is quintessential Jalo, and this is basically what, from first glances I see it, uh, you know a, a a gothic drama. Uh, it has you know revenge, dead lovers, uh, madness, and gory deaths in a in a variety of ways. No real stabby deaths. Uh, dungeons, castles. Um, once again, we're in we're in London or in England, though that isn't re- isn't really 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 apparent. But we'll come on to that. Um, England with palm front, yes. But, yeah, but the point being, there's a huge um, crossover uh, for what I see with Jello from Gothic fiction, from from the from the theme mm-hmm. from the themes and all that added that I probably had hadn't appreciated. Um, another mm. another thing I think about, I think generally, I think of um, urban environment. I think of cities and towns. I think of like yeah yeah. Uh, whereas this is. There are there are scenes internally in Ursatz, London, but generally we're in and around a country estate. Um, mm. So, what can you tell me about the night evening came out of the grave? Where are we in the in the Jalo canon? So, this is 1971. Okay, so still rel- still relatively early days then. Yeah. So the the peak year of Jalo, the the year that most. Jelly and certainly the most the most kind of memorable ones were made was 1972 so about two years after bird with crystal plumage so but even by 71 when this was made the the bloom is kind of coming off the rose because one of the things that italian cinema outside of being you know the, the very art house and the very critically acclaimed tend to do is see a trend and just go nuts on it until it is you know horribly burnt out and if you think about sort of Italian cinema in the 80s, it's basically, you know, Jaws knockoffs, Star Wars knockoffs, Mad Max knockoffs, etc. Terminator knockoffs, all of that. Uh, so at this point, w- what they're referencing really is, you know, an, an Italian thing that's happened. So there's, you know, thriller that's been very successful. But they are, you know, the, the, the industry is kind of going hammer and tongs at, at trying to recreate that success. And even by 71 this starting to kind of need thinking about ways to prolong it beyond you know that sort of first flush uh and also you know like everywhere else in the early 70s tv is impacting audiences especially the kind of rural 
sort of flea pet mm. audiences that go and see the Jello, those very working class, not highbrow audiences. So how do you, and, and, and as with, you know, the US and to a certain extent the UK and elsewhere in Europe, how do you get audiences back into the cinema? Well, one of the ways you can do it if you don't want to spend a ton of money is by getting more nudity and, and more prurient content, more violence than you can get away with on telly. So that is effectively what the genre is doing at this point. So they're kind of taking the, particularly Argento as a jumping off point, which has, you know, it's it has some uh, Boba Crystal plumage, particularly. There is sex and violence in the scene, you know, in the same scene uh, in a couple of instances. So this is where filmmakers are really kind of starting to double down on that. And also kind of amping up the craziness just to keep people's attention in the cinema. So does this, uh, was this an existing story? Is it based on anything or is it a, a brand new, a brand new script? I am not aware of it being influenced by anything particularly. Uh, so the I mean, I've, company, I've, the reason I asked, sorry, is because, well, apart from all the things it rips indeed, off, yes. but <laughs> it's, it, it's, 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 it's a Gothic tragedy about, a, about a dead wife and the, um, the husband's reaction to that in his relationship with other women, which you know is a yeah, can, can be seen as a a rip off from anything from um, an homage, influenced by uh, anything mm. from you know from going from Le Fanu to to, to Daphne du Maurier. Um, mm. But it's given a certain take. I just wonder, was there a particular uh, story in or tradition of sort of in in the you know the literal jalo the pulp fictions uh, that dealt with sort of revenge from beyond the grave that sort of thing very possibly in in terms of the Mondadori jalo novels because they were whilst there were Italian writers mm-hmm. contributing I mean you know it's Edgar Wallace and Agatha Christie and you know you name it um, is in there so probably yeah they're they're, they're coming up with something and again there's also a tradition although. Not wildly successfully within Italy itself, but certainly internationally of, you know, Italian Gothic horror. You know, that's where Barva came from before he did Jally. And, you know, if you look at his, you know, his original Jally, which we, you know, we started with, um, there, there is a ton of kind of Gothic atmosphere yeah. in, in those because he's just kind of, okay, instead of Barbara Steele returning from the grave, it's it's someone who looks actually quite a lot like Barbara Steele stabbing people. Um, so, so I don't think it's too much of a reach. I think the kind of stylistic kind of funky seventies stuff starts to come in really with the Carol Baker movies that we looked at, which mm-hmm. kind of have that weird mix of, you know, she lives in these very palatial chateaus, but that also have this weird like pop art sensibility as well, which they're obviously nicking from, from blow up and the likes of that. So yeah. It's all, it's all kind of coming full circle. And I think at this point, there's enough of a sort of a melting pot that people are like, right, what have we got? Oh, we got a mansion. Yeah, we got a mansion, um, yeah. <laughs> et cetera. Because uh, this is not a uh, prestige production. Let's put it that way. No, no, perhaps we'll, perhaps we'll talk about that. Do you want to, before we talk about the plot and then go into a bit more detail about the elements of things that may may or may not be well they will be very problematic that's that's not the other way um do you want to talk a bit about a bit bit about the director well there's not really a lot to say about emilio miraglia um he was very much like he didn't make a lot of films the uh the film he made immediately after this uh which was called uh the red queen kills seven times indeed which which uses a very similar, like, kind of takes the plot of this movie, but just kind of changes the main character from a guy to a, a woman. A woman. Uh, and actually uses a lot of the same cast and the, you know, the Red Queen that apparently comes out of the grave is also called Evelyn. So, you know, they're not exactly and ha- straying far from the template. It has the inheritance split issue, which is a, yep. is a main plot point of this film. Yeah. Yep. Also, also, Mariana Marfatti is largely the same yeah, character. He does, yeah. <laughs> Um, so the, the company that made those two movies, basically, that, that's the only two movies they made. They kind of made this and then that, and then went under. Uh, and Miraglia, he'd been he'd been working for a little while. Um, he hadn't done a ton before this. He was very much. Uh, he kind of saw himself as a kind of a journeyman. He was quite happy. I I had read a comment where he said, you know. They kind of gave me the script and said, go and make this. And he, I was kind of quite happy to do it. So he'd been an assistant director and he'd done some kind of script writing and, and things like that. This So The Red Queen Kills Seven Times, the one after this, was his last film as a director. And actually pretty much his last film 
doing anything much. Mm. And I don't know actually how old he was. So whether it was, uh, so he died in 1982. He was 58. So okay. he wasn't particularly. So he was in late 40s here. Yeah. yeah. So so unless something sort of drastic happened, which history does not record, it's interesting that he just kind of stopped. So yeah, he'd um, he'd done you know the the inevitable thing that any Italian director working at this time had done. He'd done a spaghetti western. He'd done a couple of crime films. He'd done his jelly, and that was that was kind of it. Mm. So, so he does bring a slightly journeyman-like quality to the production, probably. Mm. But you're saying this is one of the quintessential, at least as far as you're concerned. But if we take you as a, you know, if not a central authority, then certainly a learned, a learned man. If this is one of the quintessentials, uh, mm. why is he not better remembered as a director? Is it because it's remembered for things other than than his vision for the film? Yeah, it's it's remembered because it's trashy, sleazy, ah. all of the things that, you know, folks like me who watch Jello kind of, you know, we have, there's kind of a scale. Actually, I was looking on a, a website, I was uh, doing some research on this, and this website popped up, which I vaguely remember, I think, I think it's defunct now, but they still have a lot of Jello reviews. Mm-hmm. And they actually have a checklist of which is very reductive oh, see, right. okay. you, you, sort of you know like does it have tits yes does it have stabbing yes does it you know all of the things that you know what goes into a jello yeah. um and so from that perspective of of you know the sort of does J, does jmb whiskey appear that sort of thing it, absolutely yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, which it does, it does in this, uh, yes. yeah. numerous yes, times in this <laughs> uh so from that perspective, yeah, it, it's a quintessential Jello for probably for like if you're coming at it from a slightly more Sydney-ass point of view, okay. all the wrong reasons. Okay, right. But it's what makes you know. It's like when you kind of like, you have that, and and hopefully one of the things that's kind of come out of our, these conversations is that Jello is a broader church than just yeah. things that look like bird with crystal plumage mm-hmm. or things that look like um, Barber. You know, there there is this wide swath of things that you can say. Well, actually, yeah, that probably qualifies mm. if if you want to be reductive and say, you know, does it does it have enough elements to to be a jalo? Well, I mean, all, all, all um, labels to a to a degree, you know, limit. Um, the, the mo- of, of course, the moment you call it a jalo, you say, "What's a jalo?" Well, it's got this, you know, it's got this in a certain sensibility. Yeah, and it, it and the moment you then put a limit on those things as well, you then trying to cast whether something is or is is not a jalo, and beyond mm. the it's you know the supernatural element that you generally don't have supernatural elements in in jello it's often easier to say i could list things but that seems quite reductive i'll know when i see it um if yeah. It's, uh, yeah yeah and and from that perspective of i know it when i see it me looking at this is like oh fuck yeah mm, this is okay. this is like full on this is full on jello <laughs> From the design and the fashion to the music and the, all the problematic stuff, and the fact that the plot is complete cobblers, um, <laughs> that that is that that to me is like, yep, nailed it. That's that's a jello. Okay, should we should we try and summarise the, the? I may get lost. <laughs> oh, let's. This is gonna be fun. Um, bear in mind, we are um, we're in England, by the way. Yes, we're, England. We're not, but we're in England. <laughs> I, it took me. It took me a while to realise that. It was only when I realised that the sex worker at the beginning is supposed to be Irish, even though both mm. all the dialogues in Italian. Um, that I was thinking, <laughs> I know, they couldn't even make they couldn't even make the sex worker English. That's like an extra layer of insult you had to go through to make the sex, <laughs> to make the sex worker Irish. That you've just got to say, oh no, she comes from a poor country. She just lives there. It's like sort of like if this is in the US, she's Mexican. You know, it's like they're they're like they're, yeah, yeah. Like they're, they're, yes, they're, I know, they're yeah. trying to say she's a poorer immigrant. They're trying to other, yes. know, and this is 1970. This is a bad time to do shit like that. Anyway, um, <laughs> we have Lord Alan Cunningham, um, yep. which has a bit of Brett Sinclair in his name for the, uh, doesn't it? A persuaders reference for those of you. Uh, no, um, but occasionally he gets referred to as Sir Alan, which I had horrible flashbacks <laughs> to the to the to, to thinking about um, the Apprentice before before. <laughs> before Alan Sugar was ennobled. But they sort of make uh, being a lord a peer of the realm and being a knight not a peer of the realm rather interchangeable. But anyway, that's you know, that's it's it's hardly <laughs> yes. it made me twitch, but it's hardly it's hardly the most egregious example of, of you know of, of nonsense nonsense in the plot. Anyway, um, it centres around Lord Alan Alan Cunningham. Uh, and we start with a slightly trippy pre title sequence with him attempting to escape from asylum. And then being dragged mm-hmm. back by uh, by by various nurses slash security, um, 
helped pick them to up as well and we see it's a secure psychiatric institution then after the credits we cut to um the same guy uh driving his car driving his nice fast car down a row of poplars um we're in we're in england everyone look there's poplar trees there's a good that's a good, a good sort of shorthand <laughs> poplar trees in a lamborghini we must be in england well yeah i mean okay the car i mean having a supercar is, is rather well yes, he's not going to go down there in austin allegra that's you know that's obviously what happened but you need to quickly we're in we're in england row of poplar trees of course yes. by the way the first ever location shot in doctor who was a row of poplar trees with an extra playing the doctor because they didn't want to get william hartman out that extra's name by the way was brian proudfoot so the first person ever to play doctor who on location was an extra called brian proudfoot anyway um <laughs> uh we later quickly establish that this is sometime later um that he's been released from his stay uh, at at a at a psychiatric hospital, uh, spoilers. I don't think his treatment went very well. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll meet the doctor later and have absolutely no idea on what basis this bastard was released because he's a serial killer. He's a serial killer of women with red hair because they remind him of his dead wife who was carrying on with several members of the local village uh, and died in Charmouth. We don't know that yet. Anyway, um, we first meet him basically with a sex worker in his car where he pulls her hair, it's red, just to check she's not wearing a wig. And he's offers her 200 quid, which, uh, you know, I don't know the going rate for sex workers in near London in 1971. I suspect it wasn't quite 200 quid uh, for the mm. for, for the night. And then he says, basically, do you live alone? And she's like, yeah, yeah, we can go out to mine. And he's like, or we could go to mine. Um, and if we do, I'll pay you 300 quid if you do some, you know, basically if you do some nasty shit. And she's like, yeah, I get to do nasty shit, but it's 300 quid. And mm. his home is a big, quite Italian looking uh, <laughs> castle. Um, where where he lives, but it's in rack and ruin, and they yep. go through some very dark, dilapidated. It's a gothic nightmare scenario place. It's you know, it's Gorman cast. It's um, mm. it's uh, it's Castle Dracula. Uh, it's full of you know broken furniture, gothic tapestries, paintings, cobwebs, and she's going fuck no. Basically, I don't want to. I don't want to go here. This is awful. It's like no, no, don't worry. There's some rooms upstairs, basically, and he sort of lives in this bachelor pad. That's very trendy, very seventies, like we've seen, like we've seen before. Into this, with mm. sort of you know uber uber fashion style, like you've just taken um, the greatest of Italian twenty first century pop, sorry twentieth century pop fashion, and just said make these two rooms out in the middle of this gothic hellhole. Um, yes, it's quite the focus, and but there's also frescoes on the wall. There's ultra modern, and there's ultra modern um, furniture. And a bed and sofa and that as well. There's some drinks, obviously JB, uh, JB, JB whiskey. But curiously, there's um, there's like neoclassical frescoes on on the wall, which is an interesting distraction. You know, provides sort of visual interest. Uh, and, mm. and there's a portrait of his dead wife. Naturally. So uh, very quickly, Polly uh, takes her clothes off, um, messes around with. Evelyn, the dead wife's wardrobe, which is all seems to all still be in there, um, uh, and then they go through an adjoining room to the dungeon. Yep. Now I've I've not seen any of the um, uh, Fifty Shades films, um, but I know there's a scene because I've seen I've seen the, the meme where basically it says. I warn you, my tastes are unconventional. Show me. And then you have the meme where it would be like me. Here's my... For you, it would be here's my collection of steelbook uh, films that (laughs) even you've never heard of. Um, And he takes it basically into quite an authentic medieval dungeon. But there's a lovely touch. Mm. There's a record player. (laughs) I like to boogie. And she she starts dancing and thinking, oh, he's into kinky shit. But, you know, there's into kinky shit and there's... Like mid, there's, you know, there's like a 14th century suit of armor, and I was like, well, this is, yeah, this, maybe it's for the maybe for the for the look of the thing. Uh, and then he picks, she picks a whip up, and she starts playing with it in a in a pseudo dominatrix style. And he says, basically, no, 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 I get the whip. You get to put on these um, thigh boots for reasons that aren't ever really made clear. No. Um, and then he starts whipping her. Uh, in a little more enthusiasm than perhaps perhaps consent will will, will allow, um, this culminates. He eventually ties her to a, a device, 
uh, and and kills her um, mm-hmm. under the watchful eye of a lurking figure who turns out to be a sort of hunter slash gamekeeper of the estate and the dead wife's brother. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. Already, I'm sorry. Yeah, and then in the morning we meet we meet <laughs> we meet um, Aunt Agatha, who's younger than you would you would might think the uh, Lord um, Lord Alan Cunningham's aunt. Uh, and interestingly, they have she's uh, she's in a, an electric wheelchair. She's in a wheelchair, but an electric wheelchair. We show a bit of it was a weird futurism that's not of showing that you know, mm. in the middle of all this you know gothic decay uh, of, and you know faded grandeur. Uh, Aunt Agatha, who like being looking stereotypically quite gothic, but much younger than that sort of character you might expect. Uh, this is quite an interesting piece of technology. But they have this entire scene where you also introduce like his cousin, um, and we know that if we learn that later on, if if Alan doesn't have any kids, the cousin will inherit, you know, the 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 the, the, the estate. But we have this scene with a seance, which yes. goes nowhere. <laughs> Correct. There's no point to that. To that scene, he has a seance, seance, and then he's in the seance. He sees what he thinks is his, his wife, and then passes out. And then everyone says, "He says I saw her," and it was like, "No, it's just a suggestion from the you know." And then that's nothing. It, it might mm. might as well not be there. Anyway, mm. this guy introduces him to says, "You should, you know, you should get into town more, go and have some fun." I know a cool d- dancer at this club called Sue, um, who does a very sexy dance and she has red hair and he checks it's not a wig by by pulling it off her uh, and then he tries to kill her um again in a very in a very in a very similar way and sort of traps her near a near a mausoleum outside his 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 house but he wakes up and her fate is her fate is uncertain um, but he disposes of some of her items and for some reason he keeps a load of foxes in a cage um so, so, yeah, I was trying to figure out if they like. Do they raise foxes for hunting? I don't suppose they do. No, no, they, no. The, the, the idea is that you're hunt, you're gen, you're hunting gen, genuinely wild foxes. Um, by oh. the way, so anyone who does hunting with hounds, yeah, is a cunt. Um, anyway, just want to get that out there. I can yeah. Um Anyway, he seems to be raising foxes like some sort of anti gamekeeper. Right, um, hmm. perhaps he has to protect them from. Part, he took the gamekeeper thing a bit too literally. He, perhaps he has to protect them from, from marauding partridges. I don't know. Weird <laughs> um, or really, what purpose they serve? They serve. They serve to the plot. Um, uh, he goes to a party. He's killed. Now he's killed. He brings Susan back, and I love the way. Uh, Erica Blank as, as Susan is, is introduced because she's doing this weird dance routine that involves a coffin and the first oh, you see yes, of her is, right, is her yes. arse coming up out of the coffin yeah. which is quite amusing coming out of the coffin arse um, first a, yeah, yes. yes but then of course he, he takes her back to, uh, to again to his sex dungeon and he has his uh, his, his flashback to Evelyn uh, screwing around outside of with, course yes yes uh, with the someone you know Mellors or whoever yeah. uh and and it, as it transpires eventually that that she wanted a child and they couldn't conceive so she was she was having sex with other men for him yeah because uh, he wanted but anyway yeah. um he he uh at, attempts again the the uh, thigh boots um murder scene with susan who who manages to escape runs to the family crypt and he has his his uh sort of because he basically has a, a sort of psychotic break whenever he sees a woman with red hair, essentially. Uh, so, so that happens. He passes out, having uh, having strangled Susan, and then he wakes up, and she's not there. She. This may be important later. It is. Yes, I'd forgotten about the. Uh, sorry, yeah, the, um, the 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 flashbacks to 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 mm. Evelyn having it off with random. I mean, the bloke's naked as well. They're sort of running to each other in a slightly, mm. in a, you know, in a in an admirably wobbly fashion. It's the seventies. You didn't have, you know, the sort of everyone's (laughs) perfect. Um, uh, And I was, you know, I I was wincing about: are they stepping on nettles or thistles? And it was. You really don't need. They didn't need to be naked, but yeah, at least the bloke was naked as well. So you know, so if you really want to see a bloke's bum, you don't quite see as much of the bloke's bum as you do the evening's bum. it's fair to say. Oh, and then uh, he goes. He goes to a party. Yes. So, so George, who is basically acting, his cousin, yeah. who is basically acting as his pimp because he keeps introducing him to all these strippers yes. and sex workers. But then says, um, and and we've at this point, I believe we've also met uh, the doctor, Doctor Richard oh, yeah. Timberlake, yes, yeah. who, who is the very good the, doctor. The, yes. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> 
um, Giacomo Rossi Stewart's character, who is, uh, yes, as you say, it's like, you know, what you need to do, the way to cure your occasional psychotic breaks and murdering sex workers is to get married again. So uh, George basically tells him, well, why don't you come to this party and maybe you'll meet someone new? So he goes to this party, which he finds terribly loush and kind of boring, until he meets Gladys. <laughs> uh, Gladys, who is played by uh, Jello regular uh, and and uh, someone we've seen a couple of times already, Mariana Malfatti, uh, who crucially is blonde. I mean, she's wearing like an outfit that is literally cut to her navel, which is probably also catches his attention. Uh, but she is blonde. There's a wonderful bit in the party where there's this band playing and they all seem to be trying to play a different song, yeah, it, which is amazing. it's really bad. The band is the most tone-deaf performance of it. I mean, I'll moan about the hippies singing in the in, in, in the short night of Glass Dolls, but at least he actually holds the tune. It's not just a bit... It's... <laughs> well, they're holding a tune, it's just not the same one. <laughs> it's like you've just... Sort of, I don't know, it's, it's like you've just given random people an instrument and then said, play what you want. Yeah. And then they, they, that's a band. Because they're because they're standing next to each other. But anyway, um, he he asks her to marry him, and she says yes, yes. That's... And they have a hilariously awkward sex scene where they're sort of rolling about, where like he he's sort of behind her, and she's clearly trying to like. Le- it's it's very funny because she is like no two people have ever tried to have sex like that. But anyway, yeah. So they get married. Uh, they return to the house, uh, very much uh, Rebecca Mandalay, yeah. second Mrs. De Winter style. Uh, and uh, Aunt Agatha <laughs> uh, has hired several, five. several it's, housemaids, it's five, ha- five housemaids, um, basically wearing blonde Afro wigs. They all look like, they all look like Harpo Marks. They do. <laughs> to show very obviously none of them have red hair. Yes, <laughs> I, I also I also really like that Maria Maria Malfatti uh, turns up to meet her you know her new in laws her her husband's uh, presumably you know older aunt wearing like a blouse that literally is sort of a millimeter away from like her nipples flying indeed yes the, yeah, but that but that that again is 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 total jello so <laughs> yep very true and this will not be a. And not not be an isolated incident, would it? There's a bit where she she, no, she goes to get some hot milk, and she puts she has a a, a night dress on. Uh, sorry, she has a night get like a, sorry a dressing gown on, um, but she doesn't have anything mm. on underneath, and she isn't really bothered about you know doing the dressing gown up. You know, and I, no. I wander around the house like them, but I have servants, and you know it's probably quite cold. Well, it certainly appeared to be. <laughs> I probably I, t- I telegraph that joke a little too too too. Well. I need to you know I'm not a professional comedian. I need to, to work on it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, anyway, anyway, yes. Um, this is now the time to um, put I need to call her Rebecca to put Evelyn to put e- Evelyn to bed. But there are complications as to uh, mm. what Evelyn might be. Um, mm. Yes, because apparently, uh, because the, the, the milk getting scene, there is a mysterious maid in the kitchen with red hair. Yes. And of course, that causes Alan to have another episode. Yeah. Uh, then it turns out in an amazing yeah. bonkers scene that um, Aunt Agatha, one, isn't really in a wheelchair. Yeah. Uh, two, is having an affair with Albert, the uh, Evelyn's brother, who is now the fox loving groundskeeper. Yeah. Uh, and just as you've learned that, that Agatha is doesn't actually need the wheelchair and you think, oh, this is going to be important, she gets murdered. Yeah, and thrown in and all the foxes eat her quite quickly. And I'm not sure that yes. would happen. Um, <laughs> uh, but she is, like, they pull her guts out quite quite quickly. And again, the scene isn't really needed and it isn't the most convincing body double mm. once Agatha's th- thrown in there. And as for Agatha's death and why, like, she can maybe she can walk maybe maybe she can and you know let's be let's be generous you know all wheelchair users are not paralyzed you know she may be able to walk for short distances oh no wait no she, now I say that they say she couldn't didn't they because she couldn't yes she, she couldn't make it because she her, she's she's yeah. also been spying on yes she hides uh, in the Alan she hides in the wardrobe and watches people and we never find out why yeah, yeah. so so a subplot got lost there somewhere yeah. but not, uh, possibly not for the first time in this as well yeah possibly the same place that. To say why Alan gets all of the sex workers to 
put on the sort of leather thigh boots because you think that's going to be important maybe evelyn used to wear thigh boots or something but apparently not or at least we never find out so he alan just likes girls in thigh boots i guess i mean fair enough and the sale not gonna kink shame and the, and, no it is it is giving kink there's quite a lot of kink shaming in the we're saying like yes. people it does give the impression that if you like to if anyone likes to you know tie girls up and beat them then um they're serial killers uh, consent is very important, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's it's going a bit with pervo, sicko uh, doing things yeah. as well. There's no safe word is what we're There's saying. There's no safe word, no. That's a little dog. Um, where are we? Uh, yes. Um, oh, she becomes, uh, she gets to the belief that e- Evelyn isn't really dead, doesn't she? Uh, Gladys. Mm. Gladys. Fucking hell. Um, and she goes to check out the grave. Uh, or rather the mausoleum, and then gets the the, the groundskeeper, um, not the not the brother-in-law, another fa- just a random factotum who we've never seen before, mm. basically says, "Can you open? Can you open the tomb?" Uh, which is done by a pulley system on a, which is handy because you know, just in case they ever need to fucking open it and identify the corpse, they've got they've got that there, which is useful. I didn't know they existed. Anyway, um, she says, "Can I open it and have a look at Evelyn just to prove Evelyn's dead?" And he says, no way, that needs a court order. And even more importantly, you know, I need your husband's permission. She goes, here's 20 quid. And he goes, all right then. Um, <laughs> cut, this is the first similitude to those. Anyway, they raise um, the the lid of the tomb and Evelyn's not there. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, yep. yep. So what happens next? <laughs> <laughs> at, at some point... Uh... Gladys somewhat foolishly wears a red wig, so uh, oh yeah, and he then uh, and he, Alan attacks that's her. Right. But but then uh, and there's at one point as well where she sort of seems to be done up like Alice in Wonderland, which I assume is meant to be metaphorical in some way. Um, but anyway, eventually, right? So Alan <laughs> goes to the crypt, which is at some point has been walled up and then unwalled yeah. up. Um, he sees what he thinks is Evelyn rising from the grave. That's actually quite cool. Uh, I, I do think that sequence is quite yeah. well done. Uh, he he loses it completely. Yeah. Uh, he is taken to the clinic yeah. uh, by the doctor. Then it's revealed that George and Gladys and Susan, who is alive, have been scheming to steal the inheritance so that George will inherit uh, Alan's money if he is incapacitated. Uh, and there is no uh, actually no. Su- uh, sorry, Gladys will inherit the money if if uh, Alan is incapacitated. Uh, but George doesn't want to share, so he poisons. Gladys, uh, Susan has been is one of the ones who's been moonlighting as fake Evelyn this whole time. Uh, they manage to stab each other in a sort of double cross that goes horribly wrong, so they both die. But it's all a setup because Alan wasn't really mental; he was just trying to uncover the people who were plotting against him, which culminates in a punch-up that le- leads to George getting knocked into a swimming pool, which also happens to have a large like, bag of acid. sulfuric acid and stuff lying yes. lie next to the swimming pool, which is, you know, asking for trouble. Uh, yeah, and then they they, yeah. they drag him away. Now then, yes, um, there's a couple of things to row back on there. <laughs> um, Alan wasn't really mad. He just pretended to be to draw the real villain out. And then... Yeah. But he was a serial killer. He, yes, has, he was a serial He has killer. murdered two women on camera. As with, with like... He has definitely murdered at least one oh, sorry, sex yeah, worker. Sorry, thought he had murdered probably, another yeah, one. Sorry, yeah, he's, but the way they kind of play that with the sort of Polly initially and then Susan later on is the suggestion that, yeah, Polly's not the first time he's yeah, done oh, this. Oh, completely, yeah. Um, so he gets away... Seemingly scot free from uh, from, yeah, being, from the hero is a serial from being, killer from, from, from being from being a serial killer. Why wasn't Evelyn in the tomb? Yeah, because the only person that notices that is the person who's in on the conspiracy. Yes, what? So maybe they just did it on the off chance. But, but where's Evelyn's body? Great question. Wherever Polly's body is, I assume. Yes, yes, but because yes, we, but Polly, I mean Polly, he just because you never see him get rid of the body, you just see him burn her pants. Um, but hmm. will if we just take his red, he disposes of the corpse somehow or just leak tight or just throws it in a darkened area of his big sex dungeon uh, and it really is a dungeon you know in the in the literal in the literal medieval sense of the sense of the word but evelyn's really meant to be dead and there's a twist that oh she's not in she's not in the grave and then we, and then we see her rise up but that's all a conspiracy that's all a, that's that, that, that's all a, so where's evelyn's actual body great question <sighs> who knows 
because it, it would sort of help in the in the is because because it implies that Evelyn's Evelyn's either alive and faked her death or been moved, um, but because mm. the person who's in on the conspiracy, as we later learn, is surprised by this, it can't be anything to do with her. Mm. So what's the what's the story there? What's also the story mm. with the with the seance? Where did why do they have this? Well, quite because that actually seems to work, but then it's never referred to again. No. Um, or, or it's a remarkably elaborate ruse using technology that didn't really exist in 1971. The plot makes no sense, and even though I rewatched it today just to just to get my head around it, <laughs> I couldn't follow it um, as well as I thought I could. Because mm. um, usually, when following a plot, there's usually a linear progression of events. Not not here, and any plot holes <laughs> just get just get covered up by boobs. There's. <laughs> There's a lot like like I said, it's a jello. There's a lot of boobs in this from the off and repeatedly. Uh, mm-hmm. and they do tend to literally smother the plot. Um, <laughs> which has a lot of holes that are not only smothered but plugged by boobs. Mm-hmm. Um I can see now why you call this a, a quintessential jello. I was thinking there was gonna be more stabby stabby stuff not that many people are killed oh we've also sorry we forgot the brother-in-law uh gets gets killed by a snake oh yes so he does yes he is he is bitten by a unfatal grass snake but obviously in the oh was it a grass logic of the film it's meant to be i thought it was i think it's just like a a, i thought it was an adder quite possibly i mean it's it's, it's sort of a a british adder could give you a nasty bite but it isn't it isn't gonna kill you Uh, but he takes a long time to die and then he gets buried alive um, yes, and again, nothing really, really happened. I mean, I'm assuming that's the cousin doing doing those killings. Well, yeah, I guess so. It's never really, but they never made, really specified. Considering our hero, in the biggest inverted commas we can find, uh, is a serial killer. Um, I mean, we're we assuming he's it's not him because he's seemingly just kills redhead women. Um, yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think he wants to see Albert in the thigh boots. No. so I mean, again, with no judgment, but. Uh, that's not really what that scene is played as. No. Um, I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm a, a a bit of a loss. It's sort of there's a lot of like climaxes and endings. Like, okay, I'm gonna I'm mm. gonna step out of it. I've seen Tenebrae, um, mm-hmm. the, the Argento the, the Argento film. Mm-hmm. One thing I enjoyed about that, and I I got lost the first time I watched it. The second time I watched it is who's the killer? Uh, because mm. here's the revelation, and here's the revelation, and here's the revelation. You know, it's and you know the yes. film Clue uh, makes uh, makes almost makes you know makes humour of that as well. About here's the possible endings of what could be done and done and why, and has sort of it's and has, has sort of fun with this as well. But this film has a series of climaxes, but and then something happens, and then about three times, uh, and yep. some of them are incompatible with each other. Like yes. the, like the disappearance of the corpse, which now is never explained and makes and makes no sense. Um, mm. And I want to say it looks good. It looks interesting in some ways. That I, I, re, I admire the bedroom design, and I like the contrast. Mm. And I, I quite like the idea, as silly as it is, but hey, um, that someone builds sort of a funky bachelor pad in the middle of a gothic of a gothic castle because that's the sort of mm. thing rich twats might do. But in a film mm. where Everyone's a cunt. Um, it's, um, <laughs> but it's, it's a jello, yeah. like I said. It's, it's, I you know. still want like there to be certain rules about if you, coherence. If you, well, I mean, coherence to a, to a certain degree. I mean, if it's stylish and fun, then you can cover mm. quite a lot of a multitude of sins with that as well. I am uncomfortable with the serial killer gets away with it because he's good looking and that he solves the the plot. Mm. I mean, I've talked about this with a with a with a work colleague. And uh, the moment you know Michael Caine is going to die in Get Carter is mm. when he kills the girl and plants her on John Osborne's land to frame to frame mm. him. That's inexcusable. He'll get what he wants as a, mm. but the payment for that is he has to die. He can't get away. He mm. can't get away with that. Uh, yes, there will be recognition. Should, yeah. there, there will be, be there will be poetic justice within the con- within yes. the fiction of the film. You you have to face consequences for that action. You've killed an innocent mm. life. You have to pay with yours. Um, mm. This this film has no such qualms about any rules about ah, Irish sex worker from the first act. Fucker. 
Julia. <laughs> um, I, you can't like you're not the good guy. I'm shouting at the end. Just because so, just because someone was fucking you over, that doesn't make you the good guy. Um, also, it's kind of unclear that, that there's kind of a suggestion that oh, uh, and I'm killed now because I solved the conspiracy. But there's not actually any real evidence that he's not just going to go carry on killing redheads because, as far as we know, like the you know Evelyn who keeps trying to come back from the grave was not actually Evelyn. Yeah. But that was after he was already killing sex workers that reminded him of his ex-wife. So will he just go on to carry on killing sex workers and eventually be arrested in like the you know 1990s? when he's been on the BBC for a bit or something. I don't know. It's, yeah, it, it is baffling. I, and I also don't know if it's deliberate or like with a lot of other elements, they just forgot. I think they just forgot. I think they needed to, t- yeah. they needed to tidy it up quickly. And it's not the short, I mean, it's yeah. like, it's over an hour and like 44 minutes. So it, yeah. so you could sort of trim that. You could trim a sort of good, good sort of 10, 15 minutes off that uh, and still have a decent length film. It's just too many plot elements go nowhere. Like there's been various drafts, and they're not they're not entirely sure what to do with them as well. Oh, uh, mm. another word for uh, as well as I like the the bachelor pad in the middle of the in the middle of the castle, uh, the London um, home that they rent, which for the final act uh, that we see mm. is also very is also very stylish, and has a furry staircase. Yes, it has a faux. <laughs> I assume that's faux fur. But has a staircase lined with uh, a yep. furry staircase. I wonder if there's a euphemism there. Somewhere. I assume it is. Yeah, yeah. It was in the seventies. Spiral. I'm sorry, sure. spiral staircase. It's furry, furry spiral staircase. But like, I can't. You have to pay extra for that. I can't stress. I can't stress enough. Don't have bags of solidified sulfuric acid lying next <laughs> and like really big ones lying next to a swimming pool it's yeah. asking for trouble god god yeah i also like the police drag him out and he's going i'm burning i'm burning but they're apparently fine like because he's all wet and they're touching yeah, him and also so they're need, need presumably get getting his, sulfuric acid on their hands get his but. clothes off and all the motor as well so a word mm. on the <laughs> a word on the actors uh, a word now cast uh it stars anthony mm. stefan um, or Stefan. Indeed. Sorry. Where do we know him from? Born Anthony Louis de Tefe von Hulholtz, which is quite a mouthful. Um, so he was like from a sort of fairly higher placed Brazilian family. He was born in Rome. Okay. Uh, but he was, uh, he was born at the Brazilian embassy in Rome, in fact. Yeah. Uh, but his family were, were uh, Brazilian aristocrats. Uh, and he'd actually fought in the Second World War as sort of, uh, he was an Italian partisan, so he fought against the Nazis, mm. which is uh, Fair enough. fairly impressive. He was mostly a spaghetti Western guy. Um, right, okay. He, he did a lot of films sort of post-Django where he, you know, the the character is not Django, but, you know, sort of he's like, he did a bunch where he's playing someone called Django and then like Shango and Isn't Django meant Durango to be black? and... No, only in the Quentin Tarantino. Oh, is it? Okay, right. right, right. Yeah, the, the the original Django is uh, Franco Nero. Oh, okay. Fine. So he's very blonde and Italian. <laughs> um, so yeah, so he did a bunch of those. He did some, you know, like like a lot of genre actors at this time. He was in, uh, you know, Plessia Tesco. He did some Jally. He's in a, a an excellent, not necessarily for all the right reasons, uh, Jallo called Crimes of the Black Cat, uh, which is quite fun and it features my favourite bad killing method of of any jello we might do it at some point so i don't know if i want to spoil it but but it's it, i was watching it going that wouldn't work that that like even for okay i will spoil it um so it's basically um someone puts curare on the claws of a cat and the cat scratches the victims and they die of curare poisoning um, now i have a cat i've owned cats since i was a kid and believe me the only person you're going to kill trying to put something <laughs> on a cat's claws is yourself the, and probably also the cat. The, the, the crimes um, of the black cat is it like sort of shitting in your shoes or something that you yeah. like. Yeah, um, L- using the litter tray like when you've literally just cleaned it. It's uh, <laughs> so so that one is that one is quite amusing. But the the, uh, the 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 best thing about it is the terrible uh, murder method. Um, right. okay. he, he's like, later on. He's in uh, oh, he's in Play Motel, which is like a Jello from '79, which is basically like porn. It's like at that point, you know, the, the Play Motel. Really had come okay. off. Play Motel also sounds like a toy box set. 
<laughs> does a bit, doesn't it? Playmobil. Well, Playmobil. Do, do not get those confused. I would not get porn and Playmobil um, confused. Playmobil porn. There's something I've never considered. <laughs> Coming to YouTube. Um, and then, he, like, the uh, the only other thing I kind of picked out of his filmography was um, he's in a Antonio Margaretti action thriller from the sort of tail end of the 70s with Lee Majors, which is about piranhas called Killerfish, which I think is a ripoff of Piranha. So, you know, like to say, Italians ripped off ripoffs. That's the thing. That's like how the kind of how the film industry worked. Yeah, he, he this is one of his, I think, more interesting parts. He's good in Crimes of the Black Cat because he plays a blind composer, which is kind of, and he does it sort of fairly convincingly. But he, he certainly he certainly gurns and, and chews the scenery very effectively. He, I mean, he's got the slightly rough good looks um, to carry off as well. I yeah. Just, I just, he, and he does, does a, a, I think, a, a decent job and doesn't particularly overact the, the mental scenes in a way mm. that could be very easy. To, to fuck up um, mm. I just have a problem with his, his, his character it's just like yeah. he's a serial killer who just gets away with it because he's good at the end yeah yeah. It's... Well, or is he? I mean, who knows? He, you know, he 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 gets the the nominal other bad guys, none of whom have actually done anything worse than he did. No, no. I mean, indeed. they tried. They tried to. They they tried to extort him out of his fortune, and I guess killed some people, possibly for reasons. Because because maybe he did kill Albert. Because Albert was extorting money out of him for because he'd seen him killing various sex workers he, so he, i don't know he, he could, i mean he certainly had the motive to more than i think yeah. more than more than the cousin that's george um yeah. where does he get the adder he just keeps an adder or just keeps a random snake we don't we, we yeah. never see that snake before or, 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 or subsequently, subsequently. No. yeah um, and maybe he kills evelyn uh, sorry maybe yeah uh sorry maybe he kills uh aunt agatha because aunt agatha? she's oh, spying th- on him i think it is you would house no it is it is aunt agatha <laughs> Well, another influence, um, as well as you know, P.G. Woodhouse, uh, Rebecca, Rebecca Les Diabolique, not Les Diabolics, as I called it the other week. Apologies, Les Diabolics and his orchestra. Um, uh, so, so yeah, it is a melting pot of influences. Um, we also have uh, Mariana Malfatti, who um, this is one of her kind of bigger parts, really, because she. Was in a bunch of jelly, but she tends to be so she's either kind of a supporting character, like she's you know the the friend who introduces Edwige Fenech to satanic orgies in all the colours of the dark, um, and so she tends to turn up in more supporting roles. So this and the one after this, Red Queen Kill Seven Times, is sort of bigger parts for her. Uh, and in this one, she seems sort of quite a not, you know, she actually seems the sort of a fairly, you know, the the the, the female lead at the center of the Jello. But of course, she turns out to be evil because, you know, evil. She is actually in a. Is it the same year as this, or possibly the year after? I think it's the same year as this. There's a there's a um, Spanish uh, Italian co-production called uh, The Fourth Victim, which is. Uh, by Eugenia Martin, who did Horror Express. Uh, and it has Carol Baker in it. And it actually plays very, very much like a sort of the, the old Carol Baker 60s jelly as opposed to the kind of 70s ones. Um, but the reason I mention it uh, out of interest is because the male lead in that is Michael Craig, who later was in uh, Trial of a Time Lord. Uh, he's in Terror of the so There you go. Yes, yes he's yeah. Tom, so, Commodore Travers in uh, the. Correct. Yes, in the fourth. Sorry, the third, the third, third bit. Bonnie Lang, Bonnie Langford's first story. He's also in a very disturbing, is it Australian film called Turkey Shoot? Mm. You must have seen that. Oh yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, it, uh, what that's got another name. I can't think okay. what it is, but yes, that's. Uh, yeah, so he gets around. So if you're ever in the, the pub quiz, like what co- what connects Mariana Malfatti and uh, Colin Baker or Bonnie Langford for that matter, <laughs> uh, it's Michael Craig. So there you go. Oh. The only person we haven't mentioned actually is. is uh, uh, Erica Blank, uh, Erica Enrica Bianchi Conlombato. Oh, she, uh, she, as her mother knew. Yes. She was, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of people in this who you think, oh, that, you know, because of that slightly international flavour that a lot of Jelly have, that, oh, you know, these actors from elsewhere, but most of the folks in this are actually just purely Italian mm-hmm. actors. Uh, and so, yeah, she she is mostly sort of a genre, genre actress, you know, things like The Red Headed Corpse. I mean, you can see why she, you know, got hired for that. Yeah. Um, She's in. She is also in a Carol Baker jelly, one of the Lindsay ones called "So Sweet, So Perverse." Um, 
but she yeah she had quite a long career she's in uh, kill baby kill the mario barber uh gothic horror which is very very good if you've never seen that one i highly recommend kill okay. baby kill doesn't doesn't uh, perverse mean slightly awkward mm, i don't know actually not in the sense of the movie <laughs> as opposed to perverted you know which is you know off the right yeah, yeah. perverse means you know i'm, I'm slightly annoying <laughs> which I'm, I'm, I've not seen uh, um, so perverse so I'm going to imagine it's someone who's you know <laughs> mildly irritating in work situations for example being slightly, slightly <laughs> perverse oh, that's slightly perverse him. oh that's god that's, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's annoying and I will, I will never change my opinion on that he ate, he, he ate my yoghurt even though I wrote my name on yeah, it is it a jello <laughs> is it a jello is now the old is it folk horror to which the answer is, al- <laughs> which the answer is always yes. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I saw a I saw a, um, a Silent Universal um, film the other week, which had an intertitle going John Barleycorn. And I was like, folk horror. <laughs> <laughs> claim, claim this American Western or so whatever. There's a, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely folk horror. Where are we going next, Love Dave? It. Well, uh, so we are coming. Back to London, but it's really London this oh time, God, okay. I promise. Uh, so I was kind of interested to discuss what was someone who influenced the sort of the wellspring for all of these movies doing when these movies were coming out. So Sweet. we're going to look at Alfred Hitchcock's Frenzy. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is about as jelly as Alfred Hitchcock gets. Yes, indeed. So I'm very interested to see uh, where the discussion takes us on that. That's, yeah. Is that the one that's set at Covent Garden? Yes. yes. It's been a while since I've seen that. Mm. But yeah, so this uh, so is this a case of Hitchcock getting in on the Jally act? Or this is where this is where Hitchcock's going and Jally will, will follow him? I think it's a confluence of several things. And I, I will come on to it, but did Hitchcock ever watch an Argento film? I don't think we actually know. But looking at Frenzy, I'm curious. So we will examine that next time. Yeah. To be discussed. Yeah. I have seen it, but a while ago, so I will certainly need to. Mm. Uh, I will certainly need to refresh my refresh my memory. But I'm looking forward to it. Uh, thank you very much, Dave. Marvelous. Marvelous. Thank you. Thank you. Until next time. Next time, John and I attempt to ascertain if Alfred Hitchcock ever really went jallo with 1972's Frenzy. We hope you'll join us then. In the meantime, thank you for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye.